just reminded I'd promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. There's the problem. Better let us handle this. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's we need him now. Biff Bam Pow, let's take a trip down to the Batcave for Batman Land. Let's go! A weekly discussion of the 1966 Batman TV show. Each week, we'll be joined by a guest where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Viceland. Now, when I'm patrolling the streets at night, I'm Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS. I'm joined here by my boy Wonder and a fellow editor here at SBS, Nick Bassine. Nick, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing really well. It was never discussed that I was going to be the boy Wonder. Yeah, I just assumed. It seemed like a natural extension of our relationship. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're fine. Yeah, I yeah. love it. <laughs> we should have done this in costume. This would be so much better. Are, are we not in costume? No, we should have been. I yeah. mean, I don't know what's going on underneath there. Joining us in the Batman Land Batcave for our inaugural podcast is someone from my own personal rogues gallery, SBS Viceland channel manager, John Bohm. John, how are you doing? Great, thanks, Dan. Now, John, it was your brainchild that we're seeing Batman up on the screen, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. First of all, we've got the important business to get down to. We're discussing the very first two episodes of Batman 1966, High Diddle Riddle and Smack in the Middle. Hi Diddle Riddle and Smack in the Middle, it first aired on January 12th and 13th of 1966. In addition to introducing the entire premise and cast of the show, it was also the introduction of Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. Nick, what the hell is this episode about? Well, it appears to be, um, aside from just generally introducing what um, Batman's role in the city and um, how he helps the cops out. He's a force uh, for good, right? Yes. Um, the Riddler is suing Batman for wrongful um, arrest and um, a couple of other things. Well, he seems to be besmirching his good character. But it's all a cover for a, um, a plot to... Um... <laughs> to steal the Moldovian crystal stamp head. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I think it's what the first episode of The Night Manager was based on as well. Yeah, it's largely the exact same show. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, uh, I feel that you're neglecting nightclubs along the way. Yeah, I mean, along the way, we head to a nightclub where the... I didn't realize that the Bad Tusi was introduced so early on the show. Yeah. It's episode one and it's all, they're busting it out. I don't think we see it a second time. I mean, there's some awesome surf dance action in the third season. But... Yeah, that was very exciting. And Batman drinks some spiked orange juice and, um, and is drunk. And he's yeah. drunk. Yeah, the bartender, it's like the Batman special. Yeah. Yeah, if I go ordering the Batman special at my local go-go establishment, do you think that I'll get the same? Um, I don't know where you go, but mm. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. And... All of this stuff that you get in what I assume is every episode. The big climactic fight with all of the Biffs, words, the bams, the yeah, pals. There's all that. Um, Bit of walking up sideways. Yeah, yeah. up the buildings. Building. There was that. There was the foxy lady who uh, has been in a James Bond movie. Diamonds are forever. Yeah, yeah. she was in there. And um, Batman slash Adam West are both drop dead sexy. <laughs> um, when he walks through the club and everyone just can't believe people that are throwing underwear at him and everything. It's very, um, I mean, not literally, but yeah. It's that. difficult because he was just trying to blend into the crowd as well. Yeah. Dressed yes. as Batman. Yeah. 
Do we? How old is Robin in this, by the way? Just to that's a very good question. Because old enough to have a driver's license, because I don't think Batman would let him drive the Batmobile without a license. But not old enough to get into the club. So somewhere between seventeen and twenty-one. But at the beginning, the first shot of him, he's playing with a toy plane. And then at the end, he was (laughs) at the end. He was he got help with his algebra homework. So he's still in high school. Very curious. Very complicated. And then all of the sexual tension. Nick, Between Batman and Robin. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, it's uh, yeah, it's beautiful. So how just the age, the age issue, um, you know, becomes, um, yeah. Statutory. Yeah. Now, I didn't see sexual tension. I just saw two men who liked going on a fishing trip together. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. well, I, I dig deeper. You know, I like to look under the tights. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> That's it. Think sexy thoughts. I am impressed with how sort of well-established, all the cliches from the show were in the first episode. Like, yes. I was shocked at the number of things that we define this version of Batman as were in those first two episodes. Yeah, and that's kind of rare with a TV show that they will have, they'll have figured it all out in that first episode. Normally, yeah. they're, it'll take a while before they hit their stride. And But yeah, absolutely. But like, all the gimmicks were there. The only thing was when they were walking up the side of the building, there was no guest star popping their head out along the way. Oh, Other right, than that, it was exactly right. the same. Like, we saw that. We saw, like, the Batcave looked exactly the same as it does through the run of the series. All their stupid inventions. Stupid inventions. All the computers and that have, uh, like, tags on there explaining what they are. So yeah. there was one which was, like, the Bat Research Shelf, which I'm not sure why that needed a, like, 30-odd centimetre ruler length um, sign for it, but it was certainly there. Um, we saw that. Now, nah, Chief O'Hara is there from the beginning. Um, uh, there's no cast additions. Um, Aunt Harriet, Harriet Cooper, she's there from the beginning. Does she stick around? I think she's there for the first two seasons and okay. disappears for season three. She's the the old lady that's in um, the mansion who doesn't realize that they're no, Batman and Robin. She just thinks they're on a fishing trip or hanging out at Bruce's uncle's house. Bruce's uncle's house. So her, her brother? <laughs> well, uh, no, so, no, so Dick Grayson's aunt Robins. is Aunt Harriet. <laughs> So I don't quite understand why Dick Grayson needs to have Bruce Wayne as his... Uh, what's what's the counterpoint to award? Uh, sugar Daddy? Yeah, we'll go Sugar Daddy. But I don't know why he needs a Bruce Wayne in his life if he could just live with his Aunt Harriet, who seems like a capable, cognizant woman. He'd be more like an apprentice, right? That you would need to live with your... Well, I mean, a ward is usually like a adopted son, but not going through the stage of an adoption. It's kind of... So Harriet can't, care. she can't support him because maybe she's got some, she's got a horrible uh, drug habit or is syphilitic or something. What, whatever happened in the 60s? Aunt Harriet's a good woman. Um, when I, when that, that uncle line destroyed me um, and I thought <laughs> of two things. I thought of um, with Nail and I, Uncle Milty, or what kind of uncle are they spending the weekend with or with that time with that how could that possibly be an excuse for where they are it was just astounding to me it made sense in the 60s it's just a different time now yeah 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 adam west was amazing i think he's incredible in it he's every line is delivered with so much something i thought it was kind of interesting comparing that against burt ward 
because you look at Adam West and he is completely note perfect and carrying it through. But the only time I thought that Burt Ward was bringing his A game was when he was actually being Jill St. John's character, Molly. And so when he's Lady Robin, I kind of felt that he was actually really portraying that remarkably well. I bought that it was Molly as Robin. And the way that when he was walking away from the Riddler, lifting up his little cape and those little bottom moment, like that seemed authentic and it felt like Burt Ward was really doing it. But for the rest of it, it was a little awkward, a bit clumsy. What did you think about Frank Gorshin? Amazing. Yeah, it's something else. He's so charismatic. Is he doing that laugh every time or is that added in? (laughs) Holy ashtray, he did tip us off. (laughs) He seemed to be wearing a mask a lot. Like, or it was happening off screen. <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of ADR. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, very energetic, nimble performance. And I don't know what TV cost back in the day, but that did not look like a cheap show. It didn't? It didn't. No, I think it looked like amazingly produced. Yeah, I mean, lots of external outdoor shooting. There were some like elaborate sets. Yeah, lots of explosions, really big sets with the museum and these house and the Batcave. Like, this was not a cheap pilot. Apparently by season three, um, they had lost a lot of their budget and it looks a lot cheaper. Can anyone corroborate corroborate that? I'm not sure, but I know that the sets were all intact because the show was originally going to move from ABC, who were broadcasting it, to NBC. NBC were only picking it up contingent on most of those sets still being there, but they'd been destroyed at the end of season three because the show had been cancelled officially. Yeah. So NBC couldn't pick it up then. So obviously those sets were still in place and at such expense that it was too much to keep the show going. Okay. Because they produced a lot of episodes, but in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I don't I don't have the count in front of me, but like season two is like I think season two is 60. Or 60, 60 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how it's been sold to us. Now, for a show in the 60s, three seasons, is that a, a lot? I don't know. I, I don't think it's any different. in the 60s? <laughs> no, I wasn't, sadly. Aren't you a student of television history? <sighs> Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't think it's any different, but what I think the thing is is that they were shooting it originally as it was intended to be an hour-long program, but that split it into halves because it worked better for the ABC schedule at the time. So when they were commissioning 60-odd episodes, it's really like 30 episodes of an hour-long show. Right. So, I mean, that still seems like a lot of episodes by our six episodes a year standard. But back then, I think that's actually kind of a standard. Yeah, I just wonder if okay, the show was cancelled, but it was... So I'm just trying to figure out how popular it was, or was it more popular in reruns? And um... Well, he was on the cover of Life magazine and they got all those celebrities. Like, it seems like it must have been relatively popular at the time. Yeah, and I, I think it's, um, it's credited with helping to um, boost the popularity of the comic as well. Yeah, I think the comic was close to cancellation and then the series came along. The TV show, let's not undersell it, this was a huge program at the time. This rated its socks off. It was a cultural zeitgeisty hit. So, I mean, there was nothing really like it before and certainly nothing quite the same afterwards. Like you had things like Wonder Woman that kind of tried to do similar-ish types of things, but not to the pop art extravaganza that this show is. But for a lot of people watching it today, they obviously didn't see it when it first aired. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And for people like me, I guess, it was seeing the reruns of it as a child, which I imagine has been a lot of people's introduction to the show. Right. Now, is this a kid's show? I would have said yes, but I don't think technically it is. It was just a primetime comedy, right? Yeah, primetime comedy family program. So 
the way that everyone always talks about it was that the kids watched it thinking it was a serious drama and really getting engaged in the action. I remember I felt that way when I first watched it. But the adults were watching it as this silly trifle pop art show. So the adults watching it were watching it and appreciating the irony yeah. and the parody elements, theoretically. I don't think the word irony existed at that stage, but by and large, that's what that was That's why I have to. so many questions about what, what they were trying to do. Were they trying to make a kid's show or were they trying to make something that was really funny? I think something really funny. It's like when you watch on a TV schedule now and a show comes out of left field and it doesn't really quite feel like everything else. I think this is just one of those programs that managed to become a hit. Let's hope I can do that again on SBS Viceland. Double episodes at 6.30 on Fridays. And available to stream afterwards on SBS On Demand. Something we're going to do on the show every week is we're going to talk to our guest about how they came to Batman and who their Batman is. But because this is the first episode, Nick, I just want to talk to you first. Who's your Batman? Like, who did you grow up with? Which Batman did you first encounter? So it's, uh, I grew up with the 60s show. I watched it as a child, like a lot of other people, um, on reruns. And I had the underwear, underoos. Do you guys have underoos? Sure. Did you call it that? I wore the hell out of that stuff. And, um, but my major excitement at Batman would have come in 89 with um, Michael Keaton. Um, and I've, I've loved all the different versions in one way or the other since. But um, when I first experienced that, I hadn't seen anything like that before. That was incredibly exciting. 1989, Michael Keaton. Yeah. And I love Michael Keaton. And um, so I would, yeah, I would say that he's my Batman. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably kind of similar, which is I grew up watching a lot of the Saturday morning cartoons that were produced post the Batman TV show, which often had Adam West and Burt Ward reprising the roles. And so they were doing voice work. So I think I watched a lot of that as a kid. This show, I don't know if it was actually on TV before the 89 Batman came back into theaters, but I suddenly remember roughly being around like nine years old. The film was in the cinema, the TV show came back on in the afternoons and Channel 10 every afternoon I was watching the show there and it just solidified like when I was nine years old, Batman became the absolute bee's knees. Right. But yeah, John, you're a few years younger. Like who's your Batman? Uh, so my first memory of Batman probably is this the Adam West series, seeing it in reruns. But I think when I- Where actually, were you watching it? I, I imagine on television and for some reason I want to say ABC, but I don't know if that, if they ever aired it here. But anyway, I was watching it somewhere on an afternoon schedule as a kid. That said, Batman Returns is probably the first sort of Batman film I saw. Um, before the, the one before it? Yeah. Well, I think I would like I was young at the time, so it didn't make a lot of sense and the Penguin was terrifying. Um, it's pretty dark. Yeah. And then I feel like I unfortunately got quite into Batman from Batman Returns as however old I was. And then what was the next one? Batman Forever? Mm, yeah. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> well, because you saw that as a child. Yeah, because I saw it as a child. Right. And I feel like it, it was a bit more accessible and probably made more sense than Batman Returns. I think broadly, but, though, we were all a bit into Batman Forever when it came out initially. We look back on it now post-Batman and Robin and there's the nipples on the costume and all that kind of thing. But it was a reaction. So when the Keaton Batman came along, it was a reaction against the Adam West Batman. And then when the Joel Schumacher Batman came along, it was a reaction against the huge popularity of the original, like Michael Keaton, Tim Burton, Dark Batman. So I think everyone was kind of into it because it seemed brighter and a little bit more accessible. Yeah. And, you know, like Jim Carrey was a big thing at the time. And well, you know, still yeah. is, but you know what I mean. Tommy um, Lee Jones was pretty big coming off The Fugitive. Yeah. 
It's not as bad as Batman and Robin, but that movie is almost unwatchable. Oh, looking back on it, it's terrible. Well, but I, I watched it the other day. It's painful. And I, but I think reading interviews with Schumacher, he was trying to do something very cool. Batman and Robin is unwatchable or Batman Forever? Or both? But both. But Batman Forever isn't as bad as Batman and Robin. But I think I was um, struggling, really struggling to get through it. So when you think about Batman, who's the Batman that comes to mind for you? Let me just think. Let me just think. Batman. Wow, this is a tougher question than I expected. You can do it, Nick. Ah, it's too hard. We've been talking about Batman this whole time and, and all the different versions. It's too hard to... It, nothing is... You'd have to stop me on the street tomorrow in the middle of the day and just scream Batman, and then I'll tell you. See, I, I just immediately think about Michael Keaton, but usually as Bruce Wayne wearing the black turtleneck. Black turtleneck. Yep, hanging upside down. Um, what about you, John? Yeah, I would say Michael Keaton. I think the like the image that comes to my mind is from one of those Michael okay. Keaton 1989 movies. But I, I think I think um, what's his face? Adam West, Christian Bale, Val Christian Kilmore, Bale, Val Christian Kilmore, Bale's... Val Kilmore. We talk about Val Kilmore for a bit. <laughs> Can we? Yeah. Uh, the Christian Bale version brought a certain kind of iconic. Like he's got the the growl and um, that kind of that became a bit that could be very exciting. I think that version of the even darker Batman. Yeah, I would like to think of that, but I don't know. I don't know if I do. I feel like the Christian Bale Batman sort of has sullied people's opinion of the Adam West Batman. In that it's looked back on as a joke now that we've had the Christian Bale version. I More than he, Michael Keaton, you think? Would, well, maybe just uh, more recently, I guess. Okay. But I think to the 1960s version's detriment because, hopefully I'm not alone here, but I think the two episodes we just watched were amazing. They're very entertaining. I, I didn't expect it to be as entertaining as it was because I thought I was expecting something kind of bad and campy. But it's... It's a lot of fun. It's good and campy. Yeah. But also, we just watched a 51-year-old TV show. Yeah, that's Like, how something. often do you do that and sort of legitimately enjoy it? Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, now the majority of episodes do kind of hold up in the same way. There are some bad episodes. So Let's not diminish the idea there aren't some bad 51-year-old episodes in there. But at the same time, that's still kind of fun. Like, it's part of this overall package where even the bad episodes, which are usually because there's a really dumb villain involved in the episode... But like they still kind of just elevate all the rest of the episodes. I love watching the bad episodes because I kind of appreciate seeing a Frank Gorshin come on the screen then even more. Yeah, yeah. I was just surprised how modern it felt for a for a fifty year old show. Okay, so by modern, what do you mean? As in, I think if you like, literally not going to be able to think of another fifty year old show, but you can watch it. If you watch classic TV, you kind of feel like you're watching classic TV. The Untouchables. You seen that? No. Apparently, that's what the narrator is parroting, because oh. those episodes used to begin with. Just a, another reference I didn't pick up on. <laughs> so, John, as someone who grew up with Michael Keaton as being the predominant pop cultural Batman of the era, I found myself in a bar talking to you a few months ago, and you were very excited telling me that we had the Batman 1966 show. Why wasn't I there? I think you were invited. You just didn't turn up. Fair enough. 
But the enthusiasm I saw from John's voice was matched by the enthusiasm I felt when I heard that he was doing it. But what was it about getting the opportunities to program the 66 Batman that just lit up your enthusiasm to that degree? Uh, ultimately, I think it just came back down to nostalgia. Yeah. I think nostalgia is something that is really powerful and is something that SPS Viceland does try to tap into in various ways, whether it's South Park, which is nostalgic, even though it's still being made, or Daria, wherever, whenever that was made, um, which we still play regularly. Um, so the opportunity to get Batman on air for me fell into that category of tapping into nostalgia, tapping into a nostalgic series that people did have a positive feeling for and, you know, the hope that you could rewatch it as an adult or as an older person um, and still enjoy it. It was a very, um, when I heard about that it was happening, uh, it made a lot of sense. It just, if it, it feels right, people do have a lot of positive feelings about that show. It's not like, I couldn't imagine people rolling their eyes and saying, oh, that old corny show or whatever. I think people would really want to watch it. Yeah, and I think the general reaction has been really, really positive when we sort of announced that we'd acquired yeah, the yeah. movies and the um, series and put that out on social. Just overwhelmingly positive reaction. And it's sort of strange if you think about other shows of comparable quality from the time and also high genre ideas. So like if it was I Dream of Genie, as good a show as that is, if we announced that we had I Dream of Genie, one, I don't think it would have felt quite right. But I mean, two, I don't think people would be as excited by that. No, and I think that sort of speaks to what Batman meant to people and sort of just how surreal the show is. Having just watched that first episode... It's a strange show. Very like it's strange, a yeah. visually yeah. strange show. Plot-wise, it's a very strange show. Um, and I think something like I Dream of Genie or Bewitched, as great as they are, uh, you know, relatively traditional sitcoms and it's the show you expect to see at 4pm on a channel with the word like classic in the name. Yeah. But my hope is that Batman on Viceland will be a surprise but not a shock to people. Now, you say that it's a strange show, You've also got it at 6.30 on a Friday evening. Just from a scheduling point of view, who are you hoping tunes in? Because the audience, I imagine, are probably watching it much later at night with, you know, some other gear going on. Maybe a glass of wine or something. Uh, so, yeah, there's like, there's a, this might not be fascinating to the podcast listeners, but there's a, there's a number of reasons it's on Friday um, afternoons. Basically, Monday to Thursday is sort of considered weekdays in TV land. Fridays is sort of its own thing. A, a lot of shows that do run Monday to Fridays don't do not do a Friday episode or do a repeat on Fridays. So Friday is a different audience um, that's coming into the channel. My hope is that we can bring in a family audience. So I would hope that people my age who maybe now have kids can introduce it to their children um, or children who are just at home flicking through the TV can also watch it. I would watch this with my child. Actually, you've got kids. Will you watch it with your child? Absolutely. Now, my child has grown up on the new versions where it's a lot faster and the effects are better and there's all of that. So I'm very curious to know, because I actually once, a couple of years ago, I tried to watch the movie with him, with my oldest son, who would have been five. And he, um, I think it was too slow for him. Wasn't moving fast enough for him. So now that he's a little bit older, he might understand more and maybe I'm, I'm hoping he'll be on board. Yeah, so we recently broadcast the film, um, which was produced between series one and two of this. Um, And the audience it drew was exactly the audience I was hoping it was. The average audience for the film was in their mid-30s, which in TV land 
is is quite quite an achievement in that it's quite young. Um, and I guess I was surprised because I kind of thought it would go one of either way. I thought it would either be people who had a direct connection to the show 50 years ago re-watching it or like an absolute children audience. I kind of thought we'd go either way. So I was really happy that we actually landed on what I hope was the audience, which was, you know, people who'd seen it in the 80s or 90s in repeats and were sort of looking back at it nostalgically, hopefully introducing it to a new younger audience as well. You've explained that this is a family show, but how does that really fit in with Viceland, which isn't really a family channel? Yeah, so my hope is that we will have families watching the show. And I think the beauty of the show and sort of the the silliness for for parents um, and probably children alike is these really simple and overt moral lessons that Batman is telling Robin throughout the series. It does legitimately promote good citizenship. Yeah, like yeah. I know it's a really long, like I'm drawing a really Not long, really. a really long bow here. But well, I, in that one, he was telling Robin, yeah, so, you know, stay in there again. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's peppered with, um, yeah. good citizenry. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think you could argue that it would. It's a bad thing for there to be a show on television that promotes good citizenship, that promotes people pay taxes, that promotes people don't do drugs. Yeah, yeah. That people are nice to each other. Like I think it's a good thing. So, John, one of the really nerdy questions I have is that you have acquired this TV show, which is 50 plus years old now. How do you do this? Like, what actually happens? So, I'm sure that the uh, content owner, which would be uh, Warner Brothers in this instance, they wouldn't have come up to you saying, hey, John, do you want Batman? How does that happen? Like, do you do you have a catalogue that you flip through? Like, what's the deal? Uh, no. So, it's usually never as simple as you'd like it to be. Um, the distributor in this case is actually 21st Century Fox. Um, for those super nerds out there, if you go to the Batman Wikipedia page, there is a whole chapter about how the rights have flung between various studios and various iterations over the last 50 years. Um, but in this case, the TV show is owned by 21st Century Fox, who we acquired it from. Um, and no, they, they didn't approach us. They didn't, um, you know, they weren't out p- pitching the show. Uh, as I mentioned, nostalgia was something I really wanted to bring into the channel, especially into early evenings where you know, your alternatives are news and game shows. I was trying to give something else for people to watch. So there was a number of nostalgic shows I, I was pursuing and looking at. But did you just wake up in a bathtub one morning thinking, Batman, Eureka, let's do this? I don't sleep in a bathtub, <laughs> so I didn't wake up in a bathtub. You've um, never woken up in a bathtub before, John? I did lose a kidney once, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, Batman was just... What other nostalgic shows were you looking at? Oh, uh, well, you know, without giving anything away. Uh, no, I haven't I haven't acquired it. But, um, you Hawaii know... Hawaii some... No. Magnum P.I.? No. The 50s Superman? The Hulk? Uh, Wonder no. Woman? No. Wonder Woman marries Superman, the wedding episode. I think that's the comic book. The, no. These aren't even real things. So the show <laughs> I was also looking at, just unless Nick keep wants to keep guessing, um, was actually Captain Planet. Oh, yeah. It was a show yeah. that, in my mind, despite, you know, being from a completely different time period than Batman, filled a similar nostalgic sort of space in my brain. Um, and, you know, again, not to keep pulling things back to why we buy shows, but, again, it felt relevant. It felt like a relevant show even though it's like 20 plus years old at this point. Is Captain Planet uh, a, uh, an environmentalist? Yes, he is. And he also has brought together a culturally diverse group of youngsters to travel the world uh, trying to save the planet. Didn't do such a good job, did you, Captain Planet? 
At the end of every show, I think it's important that we think back to what we've experienced with this week's Batman and we ask ourselves, what did we learn from Batman this week? For me, I think the most important thing to realise is that if I'm Batman and I need to dispose of a body, the nuclear system that powers the Batmobile is apparently a really fine way to do it without having to actually involve the police at all in your activities. Yep, that's a good lesson to learn. You look sad at the idea of learning that lesson. I just wasn't listening. That's fair. Um, my lesson would be that if you're a foxy lady in a gang, you should be able to eat whatever you want without being fat shamed by the other gang members. Yeah, what was that guy on about with all the calories? Not nice. Yeah, that was unfortunate, I felt. She maybe could have served herself the caviar instead of just digging out of the jar like that. Also, I feel like caviar is probably quite low calorie. Yeah, it's probably, yeah, fish eggs, a lot of protein. Yeah. We should, not, we should, we should even, all be eating more caviar. Because I was expecting her to put it on a cracker and, or something. She didn't, even, she didn't even do that. She was just digging right into it. John, what did you learn from Batman this week? Um, I learned a lot. Um, I think it's great that Batman didn't let Robin come into the club with him. I think it's yeah, really important that we shield children, children or, or young people from experiences that they shouldn't be having at a younger time. Um, I think it's really admirable that the police force, um, you know, a public good, is working with the private sector to solve crimes when necessary, partnering up using each other's resources. I think it's a lesson for all of us. Um, one, of, one of my favorite moments from the show has to be at the very beginning when the Riddler's up to something and uh, Commissioner Gordon looks at all the policemen saying, hey, hey guys, you got, you got any ideas? You want to help solve this crime? And they all hang their heads in shame because they got nothing. It's very funny. And I think it's great that Gotham, Gotham was holding the World's Fair. I think we haven't had a World's Fair in a while, have we? No, what? but it's I, you know, it's great to bring the different cultures of the world together and discuss our similarities. Although, don't don't world's fairs feature like circus freaks, that kind of thing? Probably back in the sixties. I think now it's more about like intergovernmental cooperation and social cohesion. That's nice. It's beautiful. It's like a song. Guys, we've hit the end of the inaugural episode of the Batman Land podcast. We'll be back next week talking about the episodes that bring the Penguin into the show. John, let's take it out, though. When can we watch Batman? Uh, you can see Batman Fridays at 6.30pm in double episodes on SBS Viceland or straight afterwards on SBS On Demand at your own leisure. Indeed. Thank you very much for listening. And if you want to be able to get in contact with us, drop us a line. We've got an email, film at sbs.com.au. And you can find us all on Twitter. Nick, where are you, sir? At... Nick Bassine. You can catch me retweeting things about my own channel at iDance. And you can find me at the Dan Barrett. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same podcast channel. Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard appreciated, part of something, and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Make your organisation a place where people want to be. For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au.